You know, we all look forward to things. We all anticipate. I think that's just part of being a human being is to just have the sense of hoping and just waiting for things. And so, for example, I think, I mean, my opinion, but I think I'm not too far off. This week is the most highly anticipated movie, I think, of all time. With Avengers Endgame coming out this next weekend. (laughs) Now you laugh, but don't pretend you're going. Like, you know you are. It's this 11 years worth of film, 21 movies, all about these Infinity Gems and the Mad Titan fan-offs with this cosmic snap. And how the Earth's mightiest heroes are supposed to somehow turn back time and defeat him. And so some of you are like, what? <laughs> Go watch the movie. It's, it's going to be this worldwide phenomenon this coming week. And so if you're not looking forward to that, I'm sure you have other things you've looked forward to. Maybe your wedding day or you, like when you were a child, and maybe you look forward to Christmas or to your birthday. And, I mean, as adults, we look forward to maybe buying a new house or seeing your kids graduate from high school and go to college and then graduate from college and then, and then you get a pay raise as a parent because they're finally out of college. <laughs> but, and those that have young kids don't get that. Um, my kids are young too, but I know what's coming. So, but all of us in our way, one thing or another, we all look forward to things. We anticipate and and honestly, that's how I feel today. So this Renewal Church launch team that began gathering many months ago has been anticipating, has been praying for this day. So if, if you are a guest today, you have to know something. There has been anticipation. There's been this hoping, preparing. There's been this praying for today. And so if you are a guest, you need to know this, that we have been expecting you. We have been anticipating that we get the joy of meeting you. If you're here and you're a guest, then we have prayed for you. Our hearts have burned with anticipation to say, who is God going to bring that we get to share life with? Who is God going to do a work of renewal in their hearts? And then we get the joy of just being a part of their lives. And so today is really special for those of us that have been praying and anticipating and you have been waited for. And it's a joy for us to begin this journey of following Jesus together. Now, let's also keep it real, though. I'm sure there's at least some of you in the room that when I was talking about what you look forward to and we're talking about things like sci-fi movies, you're like, whatever. Maybe you're thinking, you know, if I'm real, I just, I just look forward to smiling. Maybe you look forward to having a marriage that's not so disappointing. Maybe you look forward to no longer being in bondage to that habit that you know is destroying you on the inside, and you hate it. And yet you love it. And you feel enslaved. And you want freedom from it. And you're here today and you look great. Everyone looks awesome. And yet I'm not naive. 
I know some of you are truly desperate for renewal, and you're saying, what I look forward to, Pastor, to having something real, to having real joy. Let me read to you out of Luke 24. As you turn there, on this Easter morning, we are going to read the resurrection accounts out of Luke. So when you get to Luke 24, we're going to begin reading You have already seen the resurrection. Jesus was crucified and buried. And as I mentioned earlier in the gathering, his friends came to the tomb and found it empty. And now they're talking about it. They're they're discussing, saying, whoa, what is going on? Jesus was dead and now he's alive. Luke 24, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them. You hear that? They're just discussing. Did you hear? Is it possible? Really? Jesus is not dead anymore? And then he appears. He just appears. He just stood before them and said to them, peace to you. Next verse is like pretty obvious. But they were startled and frightened. Like, (laughs) of course they were. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw his spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, so too good to be true. It says, and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's my prayer this morning. That he would open the minds, our minds to understand his word. Verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Amen. Let me give you the primary truth from this text. What we're seeing here is that God's renewal is available to you because Jesus overcame the grave. That's what we're seeing here. That God's renewal is available to you because Jesus has overcome the grave. So here's the plan. We're going to do this morning. So first... I'm going to, from this text, do my best by, with God's strength to show you the significance of the resurrection. So show you why it matters. And then, after we've seen that, we want to look at how that brings God's renewal into your life. So why does it matter? So the victory that Jesus won on the cross, and then how that victory, that overcoming of the grave directly leads into the renewal that you and I are just desperate for in our lives. So that's what we're going to do here 
together. And the reason why I, I feel led by Spirit to do it this way is I think that there's this interesting, I don't know, I mean, it's kind of a weird reality living in the Bible Belt, particularly here in Central Texas, where there's a lot of people who love Easter. They love it. They love the honey-baked ham. Amen. They love the Easter egg hunts. Kids love to get their baskets with all their candies inside. Kids, I mean, we, we love wearing the pastels. You know, it's like it's just this beautiful, wonderful holiday that we really do enjoy. And a lot of people, even right here in Bell County, they love Easter. And they even love going to a church service. That's just part of it. And even though they don't really go throughout the year regularly, but on Easter, it's, it's a must. And so there you have people, and maybe that's you today. I don't mean to um, speak ill of you. I'm just making observations on what I see in our culture. And, but then for a lot of people, what happens is on Monday morning after Easter, they just go right back to life like it was before Easter. And it's like nothing happened. I mean, that, if we think, you know what that is? That's just bizarre. Like, that's just weird. Like, why would we even want to go to a service and hear about sin and blood and death and, and then go back to them and they're like, huh, well, that was, that was a good weekend. Like, no, that's a, that, that should change something in your life. And it'll be like this. Let me give you an example. If, if you went to your best friend's wedding, say on a Saturday evening, and, and then Sunday afternoon, you're at HB. Now, why you'd be at HB on a Sunday fighting the crowds, I don't know. But theoretically, you're at the grocery store Sunday afternoon, and, and you see your friend that was just married the night before, just shopping there in the produce aisle in HB. And you're like, hey, I thought you were going to your honeymoon, and where's, where's your wife? He's like, Nah, I don't know. I haven't seen her since yesterday. <laughs> and then he continues. He says, you know, I'm doing my own thing. You know, it was cool. Like, I mean, I, I enjoyed the wedding. It was, it was great. But uh, I'm back to normal life now, doing my own thing, you know. And uh, I'm sure I'll catch up with her next year for our anniversary. I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll look her up. And, and I'll make sure that I, I uh, like her on Facebook or I send her, you know, some memes on Instagram. And I'll just check her out next year for our one year. Is that ludicrous? Why? Because when you get married, that changes something, right? It changes. Your life is not the same anymore. And so to go back and to live like nothing changed is a major disrespect to weddings, to marriage itself, and not, not I mean, to your bride, obviously, but to God himself who ordained this and gave you this incredible gift. By the way, guys, sidebar. I know this is an Easter sermon, but, you know, whatever. Um, your bride is a gift, she is a gift. She is a jewel that you ought to treasure. This, this is so important. When you got married, that should change everything about your life, your comings and goings, your time. Everything about you is now different. 
how much more the eternal Son of God becomes a human, lives a sinless life, dies on the cross to take all the sins of the world, is buried, is resurrected, conquers a grave, and you show up on a Sunday like, hmm, yeah, it was fine. It just doesn't make sense. It's just these truths are to impact everything, change everything in our lives. And maybe you're here today and you need a fresh word from the Lord. Because you know, if you're honest with yourself, you know that, man, you're messed up. Because you know what? We all are. There's just different levels of being honest about it. We're all desperate for his renewal, for his healing and his change. So let's see how this resurrection actually impacts and brings his renewal. So number one, the significance of the resurrection. Number one, Jesus has overcome fear. So this is the first significance. So he died on the cross. So what? So what? Number one, with his resurrection, he has overcome fear. So he says in verse 38, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts, he says. The disciples were enslaved. They were in bondage to fear. Understand something. They loved Jesus. Deeply loved him. They saw him do the miraculous. They saw him feed thousands with just a kid's lunchbox. And then as I walk on water, and they saw him just say, peace, be still, and the waves and the storm stop. They saw him heal the sick, cast out demons, resurrect the dead. They saw Jesus do all of that. And then he was on the cross dying. They thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was the Savior. And there he was drowning in his own blood. And you can only imagine what they were thinking. They were saying, come on, Jesus. Kind of like when you watch your favorite team and they're losing, you're like, come on, come on. Oh, you missed that shot. You're like, oh, come on. And then they lose and you're all depressed. They felt like that in the ultimate level where this wasn't a sporting event. This is uh, so they thought the Messiah dying. They're saying, come on, Jesus, you can do it. You can't come on the cross and defeat all this evil and usher in your kingdom. He didn't do it. But we need to be clear. Jesus didn't just die. He gave up his spirit. Even on the cross, he was sovereign. He was in complete control. No one took his life. He gave his spirit to the Father. So even in his dying breath, complete control, no panic, accomplishing the purposes of God. And he conquered fear. The disciples were afraid. When Jesus died, their hope died with him. They were discouraged. They were hopeless and defeated and filled with fear and anxiety. Can you relate? Can you relate to anxiety? 
Do you worry about your finances or worry about your kids or worry about your future, future career? Do, do you worry? What do you worry about? Because we can all have things that we get anxious about. And the disciples were clearly very anxious with seeing their beloved Jesus die on the cross. And just like with these anxiety-filled, fearful men, in the middle of their anxiety, in the middle of their sadness, stood the resurrected King of glory. And just like he stood before them, he stands even now before you, looking into your eyes of faith. And Jesus is looking at you lovingly, calmly, with authority, saying to you, peace to you. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Come, see my hands and my feet. Touch me and see. I defeated the grave, and I've got the scars to prove my victory. Peace to you. So what does this do for you? How does he bring renewal into your life through conquering fear? Well, now you can have peace. Jesus said it, peace to you. You can have shalom. That's God's word. This is the original word. Shalom is the word peace. And it describes this goodness and wholeness. And it describes harmony with others and with God, even with yourself, this, this state of well-being and satisfaction, delight in God's presence. And so shalom is, is really a very broad word that describes, if you want to think of it this way, what life was always supposed to be like. Back in the Garden of Eden, before sin messed everything up and broke everything, including ourselves, there was shalom peace with God and with others, and that was God's original plan. And so renewal means having shalom. When Jesus walked out of the grave, he defeated fear. And he's pushing back the darkness and pushing back our fears, and he is restoring shalom to those who hope in him. Does your soul need hope Today, does your soul need peace today? Do your restless and insecure, anxious souls need peace? Jesus is the prince of peace. And so what you need is Jesus himself, resting your soul in him. So deeply knowing the love of God is what dispels the darkness and turns fear into singing. And it happens through surrender, through a yielding of our hearts to Jesus and to his purposes, knowing with confidence that he has overcome and that he's got this. You don't have to take care of it. You don't have to manage it. You have to just rest in Jesus and know that he's got this. He overcame fear and gives us peace. Number two, the resurrection means that Jesus has overcome guilt. 
he's overcome the guilt, which is why in verse 46 and 47, he says that he had to suffer for what? For repentance and forgiveness of sins, which means that we were guilty and that now we need to repent and receive this forgiveness. Now, all of us can try to minimize or deny our sin, but the truth is all of us are guilty. Our motivations are self-centered and we're guilty. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we are. And God being holy cannot just ignore our sin. So if anyone ever thinks that they somehow deserve heaven or think that because God is so good, he just owes it to us or thinks that we can somehow earn heaven, then no disrespect, but you don't know what the gospel is. Because the point of the gospel is that we can't, that we're not good enough, that we're not able to. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's the whole point of the gospel. The whole point of the cross and the resurrection is that we're not good enough. We stand before God and we are guilty. And the cross shows God's holiness and his judgment. And the Passover lamb dying in our Place. And so what you see with the cross and the resurrection is payment. So the cross was the payment and the empty tomb is the receipt. The cross shows paid in full. And then the empty tomb is you can say, okay, God, I've got the receipt. I know that you're good for it. I know that you'll keep your word and that you will let me go to heaven Not because I deserve it, not because I could ever earn it, but because Jesus paid in full. And this is, this is the stunning beauty of the resurrection. And so what does that mean for us? We just read it. It means that his renewal means that now we can be forgiven. We can have true forgiveness. And so the resurrection of Jesus is God's declaration. That we on our own cannot earn our way to glory, but that he did the impossible to get us there. So the resurrection proves that God loves you. It proves that he wants you and that he would not rest until he made a way for us to be brought near to his heart. So renewal means having forgiveness. This is part of what it means to have his renewal, that we trust him. And the cross proves that God is for you. Do you ever doubt that maybe God's not for you? You ever think, well, I don't know if God's for me or not. Why did this happen or why did that happen? And I don't know. I can't answer the whys. But what I can tell you is that the cross proves without a doubt that God loves you and that he is able And so a lot of us need to stop resisting God's love and receive it. And I I know what it's like because I've been there in my life too, where I'll think to myself, well, I know God loves others, but God can't love me. There's just no way. Like, I'm way too messed up. I mess up too much. And yet the truth is that God does love even me and even you. Number three, significance of the resurrection. Jesus has overcome shame. So he's overcome our fear and our guilt, but also our shame. 
And so guilt is judicial in the sense of it's the court and it's what's legal. And so we are condemned before God the judge. So that's what it means to be guilty. But shame, shame is different. Shame is about relationships. Shame is a relational thing. And so God takes away our shame so that we can then now have a relationship once again. And so in the original language, when you read naked and shame, it's the same word. So, for example, in Genesis, when, when Adam saw that he was naked, it says that he was shamed. So to be naked is to be shameful, to be shamed, which is why, by the way, I spent several years in the Middle East up until a year and a half ago, and, and living in that context, I, I saw this, how people even today in the Middle Eastern context, they really cover up. Like, you would never see women showing their shoulders. You would never see guys wearing shorts. You would never see women's faces. Like, they, they cover up their whole bodies, and you see sometimes just their eyes or just their face, and you can't see their hair. And this is just kind of in their culture because the Middle Eastern culture hasn't changed that much from thousands of years ago, where to, to expose yourself, to, to show your skin is shameful. And so they completely cover up in public. And so nakedness and shame go together. And so when you're reading here in in the Bible about shame, understand that shame has these feelings of being exposed or of being dirty or of not being good enough. But you know what it says here to those of us that may struggle with these feelings of feeling dirty or being shamed? Did you catch what he said in verse 48 and 49? He says, as you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, how does he describe it? He says that you will be clothed with power from on high. God gives us clothing. Clothed with his spirit. Clothed with his righteousness. This is talking about removing our shame. You see, on the cross, Jesus endured shame. It was shameful to die on the cross. And he was naked on the cross, which is a symbol of shame. And so Jesus endured your shame and mine on the cross so that we could be clothed with the power from on high, being covered by Jesus his righteousness, his spirit. When he rose from the dead, he defeated our shame. He takes it away. So what does this mean for you in regards to renewal? Well, his defeating shame means that now you can know your value. Now you can know your value. With his sacrificial work on the cross and then the resurrection, removing our shame, bringing us back close to God, near to him, it brings honor to you. And he embraces you for who you are. If you're here today and you're struggling with either fear or guilt or shame, then my suspicion is from my experience and from the Bible that when you're experiencing fear or guilt or shame, you will probably very likely respond with some very sinful patterns. And for the most part, these sinful patterns are just coping. 
because your soul is in pain. You're hurting. And maybe you can't even pin it down. Maybe you don't even know exactly, but you, but you get triggered by different things. And all of a sudden, you find yourself responding or turning to things that you know are unhealthy. But you turn there and you're like, I don't know why. I just, I can't help myself. I just keep doing this or saying this or whatever. But the reality is that if you will go back and identify whether it's a fear or whether it's what are you guilty of or shame, and if you will fight the enemy with truth, you can have victory and healing. Because the enemy is going to attack you. You have to hear me. Here's what's going to happen. The enemy is going to come to you. And he's going to say, look at you. You're worthless. You did it again. He's going to come to you and say, you call yourself a Christian? He is. He's going to come to you. He's going to say, God doesn't love you. God can't love you. You're not good enough. Your life's a mess. You can't, you can't even get your life together. You can add no value to God's kingdom. You should just stay home on Sundays. You should not even bother being on mission. Why do you even try? Because you have nothing to add to the kingdom. You know, you know how I know this? I've been there. I've been there. And you know what you do when that happens? When the enemy brings that guilt and he brings that fear to intimidate you and then he brings that shame into your life, you know what you do? You fight with the gospel. You say, no serpent. You have no authority here or in my life. It has been paid in full. I bear that shame no more. I bear that guilt no more. And I will not walk in fear. I will walk in confidence. And I will believe the truth of what the word says. That I am loved and adopted and anointed and redeemed. And indwelt by the spirit and commissioned. And I have purpose and value. And you serpent have no say here in the matter. Because Jesus paid it all. This is the point of the resurrection. And if you think that this won't impact your daily life, then, then I don't know what to tell you. Because this is the absolute truth. We have victory because Jesus overcame your fear and your shame and your guilt. And this frees us to be who God's made us to be and to live in his presence with joy, knowing our value and you have eternal value. Jesus died for you. What more do I need to say to prove your value? And we can walk in confidence because Jesus walked out of the grave. Lastly, significance of the resurrection So Jesus has overcome death. We saw it. He's resurrected here. And then the last few verses that we just looked at, verses 50 through 53, describe his ascension, how he went up to heaven, carried up into heaven, it says. And so 
when a king ascends to the throne, that means he's taking his reign. He's, he's, he has the authority. Jesus ascended to the throne. He's seated on high. He is a victorious, conquering king. And he has defeated death itself, and he is in heaven. And so this is a resurrection joy. And this resurrection joy of Jesus escaped the hold of death because it is the joy of this new creation. So Jesus resurrecting from the dead was the beginning of a new creation, a joy that is broken from the evil of this world. And this resurrection of Jesus has created a chain reaction of more people that are also being made new and brought from death to life, from darkness into light. This is what the point is, that it is the birth of a new creation, people that are made new in Jesus. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Jesus seated on the throne in Revelation 21, verse 5 says, Behold, I am making all things new. Not new things. Making all things new. And so the fact that he's resurrected from the grave, overcome, overcome death, means, here, here's what it means for you for your renewal, that you can have resurrected life right now. Now with new passions, with a new desire for Jesus, walking in the light and in victory. Understand, this changes everything, and God's renewal is available to you because Jesus overcame the grave. So renewal means that you can be made new, have a whole new life. This is not your effort this is not you being good enough. This is not you being more religious. This is not you trying harder. This is you just resting. So you want to behave better, if you will, like have your life look different. You got to believe better. The key to behaving better is believing better. The truth of who Jesus is, who you are in Christ, walking in the spirit. Then what will happen is you will see strongholds broken in your life. And you walk in victory. You walk the way you're designed to live. The result of this renewal is a life of purpose and joy in God's presence. As I mentioned earlier, we have so looked forward to launching Renewal Church for the glory of our King Jesus. You know what our agenda is? If you want to keep it real simple, our vision. We'll talk about that more in the next, this first series. We'll start next week is that we want to bring God's renewal to Bell County and the world. In our mission, how are we going to do that? We're going to see people made new in Jesus, and then grow in Jesus, and then released into the world for Jesus. That's what we're about. And we pray that if you feel led, that you would join us, that, that you would join this faith family, and that we will see more of his glory displayed as we see more of his renewal and see more people overcoming their fear and shame and guilt because they have been made new and are walking in that newness. But it is only through Jesus, by Jesus, for the glory of our King Jesus.